All right, we are in chapter 20, 11 more chapters in Proverbs, and uh, how many of you are feeling full of wisdom? By the time we get finished with Proverbs, you should just be brimming with all kinds of wisdom, just pouring out. All right. Bless the Lord. Great chapter, great subject tonight, actually. Uh, what we're doing and what we've had to do, really, for the last four, five, six weeks, as we take it, we're just taking a whole chapter, and then I just pray and say, Lord, give me a subject from within this chapter that that's what you want me to focus in on, and that's what, we're, that's what we've been doing, that's what we'll be doing tonight. Father, we just love you and ask you for your direction and leadership of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to help me, Lord, as I preach that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would be the teacher and that you would use me tonight to speak to the hearts of the people. Help us to understand your ways, Lord. And as we look at chapter 20 of Proverbs, Lord, we ask you for instruction, correction, teaching, reproof, And all the things that are contained in your word, Lord, speak to us tonight through this passage, through this chapter. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to read chapter 20 and then we're going to back up and we're going to talk about the area that I I feel like the Lord wants us to look at. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Better, stay away from it. King's flurry is like a lion's roar. It arouses anger to risk your life. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Leave it alone. Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Unless the government bails you out. Through good advice... Though, excuse me, though good advice lies deep within the heart, a person with understanding will draw it out. That's an interesting verse. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Amen. When a king sits in judgment, he weighs all of the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. And who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free from sin? False weights are an unequal measures. The Lord detests double standards of every kind. Even children are known by the way they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether it is right. Ears to hear, eyes to see, both are gifts from the Lord. Amen. And I think that's talking about our physical eyes and ears, but also our spiritual eyes and ears. If you love sleep, you will end in poverty. Keep your eyes open, and there will be plenty to eat. I don't think that's saying you should never sleep. But if you sleep too much, you're going to be poor. The the buyer haggles over the price, saying it's worthless, and then brags about getting a bargain. Has anybody ever been to a garage sale and done that? 
I wouldn't pay 10 cents for that. And then afterwards you're going, oh, man, I got me a deal. Wise words are more valuable than much gold and many rubies. That's exactly right. Get security from someone who guarantees a stranger's death. Get a deposit if he does it for foreigners. Because the idea there is you won't be getting it probably. Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. Plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Your friends talk a lot. Better be careful what you tell them. Because other people will hear whatever you tell them. If you insult your father and mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. Interesting, I always think about Samson. Samson insulted his mother and dad in what happened near the end of his life. That his eyes put out. An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. Don't say, and the reason is, is you'll probably waste it. Because you have not gotten the wisdom to be able to handle the money. So it would be better to get it when you've got a little more wisdom near the end of your life. Don't say, I'll get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. The Lord detests double standards. This is kind of a repeat from a couple of verses earlier. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. The Lord directs our steps. So why... Try to understand everything along the way. So, in other words, don't get too upset that you don't understand everything because, really, who can really know everything? We don't. We don't know everything. The Lord does, though. Don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and then only later counting the cost. You really didn't think that through when you said it, so be careful. A wise king scatters the wicked like wheat then runs his threshing wheel over them. The Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. Unfailing love and faithfulness protect the king. His throne is made secure through love. The glory of the young is their strength, and I love this part. We've had this one before. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. How many of you have a lot of splendor? Let me see. Yeah, we got some splendor over there, a lot of of gray. Now, what does it mean about when you have no hair? What's that? You lost all your wisdom. It's just all gone. Verse 30, physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies the heart. So, you know, there there are a lot of subjects here, a lot of different areas, but one of them just jumped out. And really, verse 27, and I know that's not something that you might expect, but as soon as I read verse 27, I, I began to think about man's spirit, the human spirit. And I began to realize that if we don't understand this whole idea, the whole idea of what is man's spirit what is god's spirit what is the difference between man's spirit and god's spirit now there's a similar verse it's in proverbs uh, 18 14 i don't know if you remembered a couple of 
weeks ago, uh, very similar to this. It's, um, yeah, we have it. It says the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? So just the idea, sometimes the Bible will call man's spirit. Uh, sometimes it'll say the human spirit. Uh, and then sometimes it's just, many times it just calls the heart of man. So what we want to do is we want to really look at understanding man's spirit. Because if we, if we get this, this will help us to be able to defeat sin. It will help us to be able to break habits that have been ingrained in us for a long time. Uh, but first, you, in, in a real sense, it, has to, it goes all the way back to understanding, uh, I guess, the way we're made. And so we're going to look at, number one, what is, what is man's spirit? I want you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And this is when God is creating man. And look what verse 7 says. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. There's more there than what meets the eye, because the word for the breath of life is spirit. It is the word for spirit. God breathed into man. I believe before this verse, his heart was beating, his lungs were breathing. But you have to realize that the thing that makes us unique and different from the animals of the field is that we have a soul and a spirit. We have connection with God because we have a spirit. And not only that, God puts his Holy Spirit in our spirit. Now, you remember, what did God say? God said, in the day that you eat of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, question, when they ate of the fruit, did they die physically? No. So, obviously, God was not talking about dying physically he was talking about that spirit because what is the spirit? The spirit is our ability to have connection with God. God created man, and while he's just got blood running through his veins, he's, he's got breath, he's breathing, and his, lung, his oxygen is going, that is what animals are. But God made us unique and that he added man, spirit, and soul. And then he placed his spirit. And that's what this Genesis 2, 7 is telling us. He breathed into man the spirit of life. The breath of God was placed into man. And now all of a sudden, man can have connection with God. Before, man couldn't have connection with God. But now that man, Adam, has been breathed into him, the breath of life, the Spirit of God has been breathed into Adam. Now Adam has connection with God. And God can commune with Adam and Eve. And Eve can commune with, with God. And there is fellowship. It is the reason God created us. 
is so that he could have communion. He could have fellowship. He could love you. You could love him. He could talk with you. He could fellowship with you. It is the reason God created us. Now, the warning was, if you sin, if you take that fruit, you'll die. So what was he saying? He was saying, you're going to lose the spirit of God that gives you connection. You're going to lose that. And you will not have that connection. We know that he was not referring to physical death, so he had to be talking about a type of spiritual death. And he loosed, he lost the Spirit of God within him. And to understand that, look at just a couple of verses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, just to give you a picture here, 2.10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything that shows us the, God's deep secret. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. So what I want us to see is that we have our own spirit, man's spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. So what is it that gives us connection with God? It is God that breathes his spirit into us that gives us the connection with God. Now, if you do not have Jesus, if you're here tonight and you do not have Jesus, you've never been born again, then the Bible refers to you as dead. Dead in your sins. Everybody understand that. And, and we literally, if we don't have Jesus, we are walking dead people. That's what it says. A couple of verses. There are quite a few. Ephesians 2.1 says, uh, once you were dead... Because of just disobedience and your many sins. Colossians 2.13, you were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. So the good news is, you were dead, but now you've been made alive by the Spirit of God who lives within us. So without Jesus, your, your spirit is dead. You don't have connection with God. Your spirit is dead and you do not have the Holy Spirit. Now, with Jesus, and that's what, that's what we need to see is that with Jesus, we receive. So let's just talk a minute about God's spirit. What is God's spirit? Well, that, that is the part of God that is able to indwell us and move among us. So if, if man's spirit is that, man's spirit is the part of us that allows us to have connection with God. God's spirit is that part of God that allows him to indwell us and move, and, and not only just indwell us, but move among us. A uh, couple of verses here in Ezekiel 36, 26, it was actually a prophetic word. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, I'll give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit. Notice it's a small s. So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about what? Your spirit. I will put a new spirit in you. Why do you need a new spirit? Because when Adam sinned, his spirit died. So we need a new spirit and 
We need the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And that is a result of the new spirit within you. Then verse 27. And I will put my spirit, capital S, in you so that you will be, you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulation. In other words, God is going to give us a new spirit. And when he gives us a new spirit, what happens? He's taking out that old stony heart, that old hardened heart. You hate God. You hate people. You're mad at the world. God comes in and he gives you a new spirit. And when he does that, you get a brand new heart. It's amazing when people, they're, they're angry at everybody. And they don't even know why. And then they get born again and they just love everybody. They're, just, they're, they're a new person. It's because a new heart has been given when they are they get a new spirit. But it doesn't stop there. He then says, and I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit, inside of you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to walk in all my regulations. In other words, the plan wasn't to follow rules and regulations written in black and white. The plan was to put his Holy Spirit in us so that we would want to walk in God's ways. Does that make any sense to you? It's a whole lot better if I'm coming up to you and I say, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. Then all of a sudden, I've got to follow what you say. But the difference is God wants to put his Holy Spirit in you. Now, all of a sudden, the desire to want to walk in God's ways isn't coming from somebody else telling me what to do. Or telling me I ought to do this or I ought to do that. Now it's the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, this is the way you ought to walk. This is what the Holy Spirit says. This is what the Word says. This is the right way. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit inside of us is directing us, leading us, and causing us to obey His ways. It's a huge difference. One is following rules and regulations because someone told them to, or to look good, or to look spiritual, or act spiritual. The other is a heart that says, I want to do the right thing. I desire to honor God with my life. The motivation changes everything. Changes everything. And so understand, you have your spirit, man's spirit, and now you have God's spirit, and he wants you, uh, he wants that, Spirit. Now, let me just ask you before I talk about number three. What is our soul? Describe to me, explain to me what our soul is. Ed, what do you think? Mind, will, and emotions. Okay. Anything else? What is our soulish realm? What? Okay. Somebody else had something? Your heart? Okay. A lot of times it's called the heart. Anything else? Conscience? Okay. I think it's probably included in there. You know, the Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. We're, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, throughout, especially in Psalms, David talked a lot to his soul. Do you ever talk to yourself? Has anybody ever told you you were crazy if you talk to yourself? 
I want to give you a word of advice. Do not talk to yourself in Walmart. Don't do that. If you walk through the middle of Walmart or any other store, and there are people around you, and you're talking to your soul, soul, you need to really get it together. Then they're going to think strangely of you. But actually, throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of His benefits. What are you doing? You're talking, and it's your mind, your will, and your emotions, your conscience, your heart, your personality, your talents, your abilities. It's who God created you to be. It's the uniqueness of who you are. Now, understand, I want to make a little different. The spirit, our spirit, that needs to be, we need a new one, it's a unique part of us that gives, I always see it as like a pocket that's custom designed for God to be there. And when you're not born again, that's empty. But when you get born again, your spirit comes alive. And it contains now the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is custom, uniquely designed to contain God's Holy Spirit so that you can have fellowship with God. And when you don't know the Lord and when you're walking in sin and you're lost in your sins, you feel empty, you feel abandoned, you don't know why you're here, you have no reason purpose motive in your life you are lost and wondering why because it's your pocket is empty that unique part of you that was designed to have God to fill you it's empty and it causes you wander and you try and fill it with this and you try and fill it with that and you try to do this you try, and nothing satisfies you and the only thing that satisfies us is when God gives us a new spirit, comes alive, and now he places his spirit within us. That's his plan. The soulish realm, again, is uniquely different. It has to do with who you are. And in one way, our soul is, since it's mind, will, and emotions, uh, conscience, your, your personality, your intellect, your, all those different things that we have a lot in common. Our soul is common, but then there's some uniqueness, a lot of uniqueness too. But the great thing of it is, is that God designed your soul to be led by and guided by your spirit which is designed to be guided by His Holy Spirit. When everything's lined up, you have Holy Spirit in our spirit that has connection with God, and that Holy Spirit in you now is guiding and leading and directing your soulish realm, which controls and helps you in your body to walk in His ways. And so you have one, the Holy Spirit, who's now leading our soulish realm, which should contain and direct our 
physical realm to walk in his way. Now, how is it without God? It's all just opposite. Now it's the body's in control. Body does whatever it wants to, and the body wants to control the soulish realm. Feed body. Make body feel good. Whatever body wants to do. And it's totally out of control, heading toward destruction. But the plan was for God to lead us by His Holy Spirit. Did, did what I say make any sense? If you, if you ever can get a hold of this, what His divine plan was, then it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out where is the real battleground. It's, the battleground is not in the Holy Spirit. The battleground is not in our spirit. Where's the battleground? It's in the soul. The mind, the will, our emotions, that's the battleground. Where does the devil attack? In the soul. The whole soulish realm is the battleground. And so that's what we've got to focus in on to understand and, and, and see that Satan wants you to establish habits in your physical, your body, that would control your soulish realm, that you basically just you give over your soulish realm to your body. And God says, no, that's not good. That's not the way it needs to be. You'll be out of control, and you'll never be satisfied then. So what you want is you want your soulish realm being led by the Holy Spirit, and the soulish realm would then cause our body to line up with God's Word. A couple of things here. Just talking about our soul. Look at First Thessalonians uh, and what is man's soul. First Thessalonians five twenty three and 24 says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. I don't think the order is by chance. I think the order is the direction by which it should be. The spirit leads the soul, which directs our body. Then First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11, 12. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. That's what we are here. We're just temporary foreigners, aliens going through this world. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your what? That's where the battle is. So you have all these fleshly, worldly desires. They're waging war against our soulish realm. Wanting to take over. Just because you get born again does not mean you have your act together or that your speech is perfect or that your thoughts are holy and pure at all times. This is what where we have a we have a war. This is the battleground. And the Holy Spirit needs to teach us to bring our 
mind, our will and emotions in obedience to God's word. And we do that because we study his word and we spend time with God's word. We spend time with him and he teaches us how to walk in his ways. Verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Okay, I'm going to stop right there and I want to ask you why. Why do you need to be careful to live properly, correctly among your unbelieving neighbors? What do you think, Bill? (laughs) That's exactly right. We may be the only Jesus they ever see or hear. And if you were the only Christian, true Christian they ever meet, it would be really nice if they would meet someone who really is a Christian. Who would be a good representative of who really is. He goes on to say, then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. If they're going to make accusations against you, make sure they're false accusations. Don't give them anything to to talk about. Now, if you live for the Lord, you will have accusations. That just comes comes with the territory, I guess. But just make sure it's not true. Make sure it's not right. If they're going to make an accusation, at least it'll have to be false. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between the what? Here we go. The soul and the spirit. And he uses the analogy, like between joint and marrow. That's pretty closely joined. (laughs) It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Why do we trust in God's Word? Why do we believe in the Word of God? Why do we believe in Scripture? Why do we hold steady to the Word of God? Because this is the only thing that is sharper than a two-edged sword that will hold us steady. Because once you abandon the Word of God, anything can go. I mean, if, we're, if, we're, if we start deciding what is right and wrong, what's good and bad on our own outside of God's Word, we have no steady anything in our life. It has to be based on His Word. And I know there's been some controversy just the last few days. People have been talking about, you know, we don't need the Word. I just want to say we do. We desperately need the Word of God. Uh, It's our life. It's our life. Okay. At what point is our spirit joined with the Holy Spirit? And we talked about that. We have our spirit 
It's dead. We need Jesus. So at what point does the Holy Spirit come and fill that vacuum inside of us? When we are born again. Now let's look at this. See if you see something familiar here. John chapter 3. Jesus replied, he's talking to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So he's thinking natural, physical. He's saying, there's no way this is going to happen. I can't go back to my mother's womb. Jesus replied, I assure to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going, so you, can, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And then I love this, John, 1 John four thirteen, And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He is in us. When someone says, how do you know you're born again? How do you know you're a new person? You say you're a new person. You say you're a Christian. You say you're born again. How do you know? The Holy Spirit is our proof. The Holy Spirit is our proof. The one that lives in us. I believe it's uh, Romans 8.16. Do we have that? Yeah. 8.16. Now that's Romans 8.11. Do we have 8.16? Maybe not. Okay. Let's look at Romans 8.16. Then we'll go back to Romans 8.11. For his spirit... This is Romans 8, 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So God's spirit, and, and, and a couple of the translations says, bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness. Now, I understand that you've got a person, maybe they're an intellectual type person, and they say, I want proof that you're a new person. I want proof that you're a Christian. Give me something solid and concrete that proves that you're a Christian. And when you say, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit, that I'm a child of God. That's probably not going to click with that person. Because if they don't have the Spirit of God, they don't have any idea what you're talking about. But it's just the way it is. 
when you get born again, and there's this act of faith. It takes an act of faith to say, Lord, I believe your word tells me and your word is true that if I will trust my life into your hands, I will become a brand new person and I will be born again and I'm forgiven of my sin and you will give me, pour out your Holy Spirit upon me and I will become a new person. And then the Holy Spirit becomes our witness that we are a child of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants to affirm. He wants to confirm in us that we're a child of God. Now look at Romans 8.11. We were going to look at that a second ago. But let's look at it now in Romans 8.11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, where does He live? He lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Now, let's go back. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. John chapter 20. The disciples are in the upper room. And Jesus appears to them. This is after the resurrection. I think we might, do we have that? John chapter 20, there it is, 19 to 23. Look what happens. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. That was the, kind of the clincher. They realized this is really is the Lord. And he said, again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, don't, don't go to the next verse, Chuck. What does it say in verse 22? What's about to happen? <laughs> That's exactly right. What, did, what happened in Genesis 2-7? He breathed into them the breath of life, the Spirit of God, and he became a living soul. He had connection with God. He had the Spirit of God living in him. He sinned, fell away from God because of what Adam did. And now all this time, from the time of Adam to this day, man has been absent of the Spirit of God. And as soon as Jesus gets there to these disciples in the upper room, look what he does. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Man was born again. And the whole idea of born again is that once man had the Holy Spirit in him, Adam lost it, now has been without the Spirit all these years, thousands of years. And now all of a sudden, Jesus 
dies, sheds his blood, pays the price for our sin, man could not have the Holy Spirit until the price was paid for our redemption. And then he appears to his disciples and receive ye the Holy Spirit. And man is now born again. And when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, Jesus breathed on you. You receive the breath of life. You become a living spirit being created in God's image. And the thing that you were created to be just came alive. And the empty envelope, I call it, that was has been empty inside of you all of your life just got filled by the Spirit of God. And now the Holy Spirit wants to lead your spirit that is now new. And that new Holy Spirit that is now with your spirit that has just come alive now wants to direct your soulish realm so that your body will line up and walk in His ways. So, yeah, amen. I love it. So now there's a war going on. How do we win the war? Number five, how do we win the war? If there's war going on in our soul, and believe me, there is, every time you open your mouth, there's war. (laughs) Every time your wife, says something that you don't like, there's a war. Because what you'd like to say is a little different from what the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to say. Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. And it's no different for the ladies. The ladies would like to say something different than what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. Isn't that right, ladies? So we're all fighting the same war. We all need to be led by the Holy Spirit. But if we don't watch it, our mind, will, and emotions kind of get the better of us. And our mouth gets in gear before the Holy Spirit is able to saddle up. And all of a sudden now our mouth is spewing out all kinds of stuff that's being led not by the Holy Spirit, but by our mind, will, and emotion. And we get our foot in our mouth. And not only that, it gets deeper and deeper. So the question is, if this is a war, which it is, and I'm just talking about the way we talk, every area of our life, there's war. There's war with the way we think. There's war to be jealous of someone. There's war to uh, go back to our old habits. You know, there's war going on in the soulish realm, and God wants you to have victory. He wants you to be successful in this war. So, before we look at any of the verses that I want us to look at, I want you to tell me, how can we be successful? If there's a war going on in our soulish realm, which there is, believe me, all the time, every day, what are some keys that will help us To be successful, yes. (laughs) Pray and hang around with fellow worshipers. I think that's a great idea. Hang with the right people, man. If you hang with sinners, they're just going to encourage you to be sinners too. So hang with the right people. I like that. 
What else? What can we do, Mike, to help us in this war? Okay. All right. I like it. Uh, he mentioned James chapter 1. I'd like us to look at James 1, verse 14 and 15. It says this, Temptation comes from where? Our own desires. Which entices, interesting phrase here, and drags us away. <laughs> These desires... Give birth to sinful actions. Starts with the desire. The desires want to drag us away from everything that is God and all the godly people and all everything that is good. He wants to drag you away from that. So that these desires can give birth to sinful actions. And look at the last part. And when sin is allowed to grow... It gives birth. So if sin gives birth, if it's allowed to grow, then what do we need to do? Kill that sucker. Don't let it grow. You can't explain. I'm going to ask somebody to say this so I don't say it. What does it mean to allow that sin to grow? What does that mean? Help me. Ed? Dwelling on it mentally. I think that's part of it. Okay. Donald? Opening the door wider and wider and wider and wider. Dwelling on it. Penny. Allowing my flesh to rule rather than the Holy Spirit. Okay. To be consumed by it. Okay. Now we're getting a little closer here. We're in, in almost notice progressive nature here. We're allowing it to grow. And the problem is once you do allow it to grow, it will consume you. It will, before, let's say you just thought about it a little bit. But then kind of like Donald says, then you open the door a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. And now all of a sudden, it's huge. And now you're possessed, consumed, thinking about this area. And what does it want to do? It wants to drag you away and give birth to sin. Maybe, maybe at the beginning, all it is is just the thought to sin. But I guarantee you, the devil does not want to stop at just you thinking about sin. He wants you to cause action. He wants to bring fruit. He wants to give birth to the sin. And so he's going to drag you away, get you away from God's people, 
And he's going to get you to focus on it, think about it, meditate on it to where you're almost consumed with that sin in your thoughts. And then eventually, if you don't deal with it, it will give birth to sin. And it started out with just a desire. Just, just, it's just a desire. But if you don't deal with that desire, and I want to tell you, as God's people, we have a responsibility to deal with sin quickly and efficiently. You've got to crucify that thing because there's nothing the devil wants more, and that is to cause God's people who are in a position of responsibility to sin. Because it just, it, your testimonies go through, down the tube. Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3. And I want you to notice the progression that he lists. By his divine power, God has given you Everything or almost everything? Would you say God's given you everything you need? That's what it says. God has given us everything we need to, for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. When you got born again, when you got born again, you received Everything you need to walk in God's way and His power. Hallelujah. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. How many of you have been given great and precious promises? Woo! You've been given those great and precious promises. They're yours. They're not just mine. They're yours as much as they are as anybody's. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature. Oh, that's amazing. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. That's what we talked about just a minute ago in in, uh, James. Now, what's the progression? Verse 5. In view of this, here we go. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence is, is just being a person of integrity in every area. And then moral excellence at knowledge. And that means, you know, and I, I'm preaching to the choir here, but be in church on Wednesday night so you learn more about God's word. And since you're here, I say commend you. But there has to be a consuming desire for continued knowledge of God's word and God's ways. And if you've been saved 50 years, there should be an intent desire to know more about him. Anybody in here? I've been saved 50 years. Anybody in here been saved 50 years? We've probably got several people. Saved 50 years or more. Vicky has. Some people that are old don't, don't want to raise their hand. <laughs> Teresa. 
45, that's pretty close. And, and you know, it doesn't matter whether it be 40 or 30 or 60 or 80 or 100. There should always be this desire for more knowledge of God's Word. And, and add to your knowledge, self-control. That's just learning to do it right. And then add to your self-control, patient endurance. And that tells me not everything happens easy or quick. That means we're going to have to do it, and you're probably going to have to do it over again, and then over again, and over again. Don't give up. And then add to your patient endurance, godliness. And then godliness, brotherly affection. And you know, you can't do that without church. I don't buy these people to say, I don't need church. I don't need fellowshipping with other people. That's a bunch of baloney. You need church. You need people. You need to hang with God's people. You need to fellowship with God's people. We desperately need it. Why? Because we need to practice brotherly affection. And we need it, and we need to give it. And brotherly affection, now we love everybody. But you notice what happened first. First, we learn how to love one another in the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And then once you learn how to do that, you should then be able to export it to the world. Hopefully. Now look what happened. Verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you're going to be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. And what have they done? Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Boy, how quickly we forgot what we've been cleansed from. So, dear brothers and sisters... Work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things that I just talked about. You will never fall away. You are going to win the war that's waging in your soulish realm. And I love that. And you will never fall away. I claim that. Never going to fall away. And you shouldn't wake up tomorrow morning wondering, am I going to fall away and go back to my old ways? You shouldn't do that. You should wake up tomorrow morning with confidence that you are going to walk in God's ways today and tomorrow and the next day and the next week and for the next year until we see Jesus. There should be a confidence. I'm going to keep walking with God. And one of the reasons is that you remember where you've come from. You remember how you've been cleansed. You remember what God has done for you. And so you don't leave from that. Does somebody have a comment? You scratch your nose, Brother Ben, does that mean you wanted to say something? You know, if you scratch your nose on Wednesday night, you're almost needing to make a comment. Okay. (laughs) Then... God will give you a grand entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, all right. I love it. I don't know about you, but I would like to make a grand entrance into the kingdom of God, knowing that I haven't fallen away. Now, I must just 
One last thing, I want to say this. How many of you know some people that have fallen away? We all do. And I just want to encourage you that if you will walk in his ways and just do some of these things and understand his plan of our body, our soul, and our spirit, what he wants to do for us, how he wants to live in us, and we'll do these things, we will walk in his ways and never fall away. I'd like you to just join your hands, stand up and join somebody's hand. You might have to move around and do this. I'd like for us just to pray for one another. Grab my hand, sweetie. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just love you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your great mercy, your great kindness, Lord, for all that you have done for us and through us and in us and to us, Lord. I thank you, Lord. It is our great joy and desire, Lord, that we would walk in your ways and we would not fall back. We would not walk away from it. And, Lord Jesus, that we would be able to know the hope of our calling. And, Lord, we just pray, Father, that we would learn how to allow your Holy Spirit to instill our spirit and to direct our soulish realm. And that, Lord, our body would uh, obey the word of God and that we would have things in right order in our life. Thank you, Lord, as you teach us to walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, so that we can make that grand and wonderful entrance into God's kingdom. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and thank you. Help us tonight, Lord, to be who we say we are and to be a godly person to our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.